You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning, guys. Happy Memorial Day weekend. You guys, man, you guys are the troopers. You are here. You're not at the lake, and you decided to come to church, so I'm glad you're with us this morning. Uh, We're going to be starting a brand new teaching series. It's called Making a Difference. Let's all say that together. Making a Difference. Um, As we look at God's Word this morning, we're going to see that Christ Himself called us to be the difference makers. You know, uh, on the greatest message ever that Jesus preached, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus said was that you are salt of the earth and you are light of the world. And this morning, we're going to look at what that means. And my hope is this morning is that you realize that you are the difference makers in the North Valley. You guys, and so this message is going to be, I hope for you, very encouraging and exhorting to you to see your great role and importance as a Christian in our world today. Um, We're preparing for grand opening. Uh, This June will be the very beginning of a lot of construction that's going to be taking place on our brand new property that we've just purchased. And I want to take just a moment. I, I know that letters went out and invited many of you to participate in that new campaign. And we've already received several families that have said, hey, we want to give sacrificially, generously, above and beyond our regular giving. And so I want to thank you guys. Can we celebrate that? That's great. So you guys are making a difference in your giving, you're making a difference in your serving, you're making a difference in your ministry through neighborhood groups and your Sunday morning service, and so I want to thank you so much. My hope is in this series is that we inspire and motivate a lot of you guys to be difference makers, and we need a lot more volunteers. And so as we look forward to the grand opening, we're going to start with two services. Uh, Lord willing, the plan is is that we're going to have our grand opening in August, And so uh, we're going to be moving on site in August, and so we need uh, uh, more volunteers to do that. So each Sunday morning following for the next five weeks, I want to encourage you that those of you that are interested in serving, show up at 930, and Pastor Jonathan and uh, Meredith Seaborn will take you on a personal backstage pass to kind of see what's going on in the life of the church. Well, this morning we have a special uh, story that I want to share with you this morning. It's my good friend Tommy. Tommy served as the project manager here at North Valley to get our property up and going, and I want to invite Tommy up. If you guys will, give him a round of applause. This is where you're going to sit, my friend. Well, Tommy, I love your story. You've jumped in and helped out with the property, but the cool part of your story is not that you helped out with the property, but it's how God's worked in your life. And this morning, we're doing this teaching series called uh, Making a Difference. And as I understand it, a lot of people have made a difference in your life here at this church. And so I want to ask you just a couple of questions to kind of capture your story, if that's all right. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. So, Tommy, tell us what happened in your life. Where were you at three and a half years ago? All right. Just so you know, I had to write this all down so that I'd remember it correctly. Um, I was married to Elizabeth three and a half years ago. I was not a great husband. I put work first, kids second, and my wife was somewhere after that tied with television, and God was nowhere in sight. It just seemed easier to tell lies through most of our marriage than the truth. I knew I was not a good husband. I would tell myself, it's not my wife was going to leave me, but when? 
and she did only after four years of marriage. Our family was destroyed, our kids were heartbroken. So to answer the questions, three and a half years ago, we got divorced. What happened in uh, a year and a half ago as you walked through that divorce, what was a, a, the last year and a half looking like in your life, Tom? Tom? I spent the next year and a half drifting out of control. I was a broken man, chasing women, drinking, not caring about anyone but myself. It just seemed like this was going to be my new norm for the rest of my life. But I found myself comparing everyone I met to Elizabeth, and I would resent her for leaving me, blaming her for tearing our family apart and not owning up to my own behaviors, which made, made it felt, uh, felt like she did the same thing to me, oh, wait. which made her want to leave in the first place. I started punishing her because I was hurt, and it felt like she did the same to me. Then I started blaming myself. Hard to see. The light's hard to see. I want to no. be your helper. No, I still need that. Oh, you need that. Okay. I just, the light's hard to read it. Hey, hey, did you hear that, guys? You said the light's hard to read. Yeah. I, I, feel, I do it every week, man. It's so hard. You're I started great. blaming myself. Felt like I, I failed as a man. I failed as a husband and a father. My family was destroyed. I would cry and ask myself how I got myself here, and I felt like I screwed it up too bad this time to ever make it better. How did you get involved here at North Valley? How'd you get here? <laughs> That's funny. It was not until uh, my neighbors, Matt and Carrie Ann, they moved in across the street from me. They invited me over to their neighborhood group several times. They did not give up on me, but I, didn't, I did finally go. I felt out of place there, but I compelled to stay. I didn't know what to think. I was kind of shy, and I was not used to all the people praying for each other. Pastor Jonathan was there... Uh, he was part of our neighborhood group, and I remember him approaching me and asking me if I would be willing to haul a trailer for the church because he seen I had a truck. I answered him by saying, no thanks, I'm afraid of commitment. I can't imagine what Jonathan thought of me at that time. <laughs> About a month later, I noticed Harkins Theater, and I remember Matt and Carrie Ann always reminding me, to, inviting me to come to church. Matt asked me how I liked it. I just remember saying how much I loved Ian and his music, but I'm not sure about Pastor Ryan. I'm not sure about myself either. <laughs> With his hillbilly humor and accent. So I came back next, the next week for the music. At least that's what I thought. It didn't take long before God's words were being embedded in me through Pastor Ryan. He was not like any other pastor I've met. His life experiences mimicked mine in ways I could relate to, and I felt his humble, him humble himself with humility. Elizabeth had given me subtle hints in the last year throughout our divorce, of what might be different if we were together. But I was always too angry and hurt to ever listen until when last year when Ryan was doing the One Love series, Ryan mentioned it was okay to get remarried, to find a new marriage, just remarry your spouse, create a new marriage together. I literally looked around, was wondering if he was just speaking to me. Those words played over and over in my head for weeks and months made me think, this is wrong. I'm not supposed to be without, with someone else. I started talking with Elizabeth. We started talking instead of reacting. It was then she knew there was something different about me. And that is good. I'm so happy, to Tommy, that you're here today. Tell me how that neighborhood group made a difference in your life. It's hard to even begin because there's so many people. But Matt and Carrie Ann introduced me to the neighborhood group to me and helped bring me to God. 
They were always there to listen to me and remind me to love God and be patient. Matt frequently reminds me to read my Bible daily, and he once told me that I should focus more on getting God back in my life first, and he was really right. Then there's Gavin. He continued uh, to remind me I can do things better and to look at my own actions instead of blaming everybody else. There was never a time after speaking to him I didn't recognize how wrong I was for what I had done. Scott Nicholson, who's not here right now, but I'll never forget when I was talking to him about all my struggles, and he said, you know what I don't hear? I don't hear you praying to God. He was so right. I honestly could not think of the last time I prayed. That night I wrote out my prayer to God, not just to be with my wife again, but for me to be a better man, husband, and father. I pray to accept the challenges that God has given me and to love him no matter what the outcome would be. There are countless other people that, that knew my story and offered prayer for me and my family. There were women like Judy and Valerie that reached out to Elizabeth and they offered her prayer and support. In the fall, I was baptized along with Elizabeth, my son Tristan, and daughter Brindley. It's because of my neighborhood group, the pastors, this church family, and my very own family, I am where I am today. Amen. So what's, what's next in your life, buddy? Well, God is a huge part of my life now. I talk to him frequently. And Elizabeth and I are dating again, and we're soon to be remarried. She and my kids are moving back home. We pray at most of our dinners now. We attend church regularly and stay active in our neighborhood group. I plan to live a godly marriage this time with him in the, in the center of us all. I'll put him first, my wife second, and then my kids. I hope to be an example to others to never give up hope that God is always here. You just need to remember it, and if you and others pray for miracles, he can grant them. He answered my prayers. I feel is nothing short of a miracle, but I have my family back, and I owe it all to God. Amen. I want to invite Elizabeth to come on up. If you guys would, welcome Elizabeth. And you guys were baptized together here this last fall. What a special day that was. I wanted to invite Elizabeth up, Tommy, because I've had the great privilege to be in many counseling meetings and getting to know you guys and how, you know, through a series of circumstances, the marriage came unraveled. And uh, by God's grace, I'm seeing God rebuild your marriage by you guys facing some hard issues in your life and your marriage and your past and uh, finding forgiveness and hope in Christ. And so I wanted Elizabeth to come up to pray, but I think she has a little bit more there in her hand. And so we're going to see what that is. I hope you don't mind. We've been a little sneaky. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Um, (laughs) For everybody who doesn't know me, I'm Elizabeth, Tommy's ex-wife. Um, first of all, <laughs> uh, let me say that this series actually reminds me of a series I saw in the past called Ripple Effect. For me, my journey um, as, a, as a Christ follower started off pretty differently. 
Um, I've been a Christian throughout my life, influencing mainly by my mom. But um, it wasn't until my uncle, who is a pastor, and my aunt baptized me in my mid-20s that I truly started to have a relationship with God. Um, I read Tommy's Hopeless Letter. He read it about six months ago. And this is kind of a spinoff of that. Um, I have to say I was extremely impressed with how you were open and honest and express how difficult marriage can be without Christ being centered. Absolutely no one is perfect. I realize that. Not even the most devoted Christians will ever be. But that's what prayer and God is for, is to help us through it. But when you're a Christian and your spouse is not, many, many conflicts and heartaches can arise, just like Tommy had mentioned. We ended up divorcing after a total of six years together, dated other people, and began to throw massive bombs at each other that could surely destroy countries. Um, I told Tommy for the last nine years that I believed in him, that I knew he could, if he just believed in himself and gave himself to God in prayer, that our lives would have changed. It is so incredibly hard to forgive, but this process has made me realize it's not impossible. Now I get to throw my paper. Way to go. <laughs> A little bit of sass. <laughs> <clears throat> Tommy, you can scoot closer over there. There you go. Carrie Ann and Matt's Christ-centered marriage and rock-solid family did influence Tommy's life, but I have to say the true changes came from your heart. Tommy, my two children, and I were baptized, as he said, in October, and I know God that is, is first in Tommy's life now. I am second, family is third, and everything else is somewhere after the TV. <laughs> And I couldn't be happier about that. I'm truly grateful for Carrie Ann and Matt because they never stopped inviting, never stopped asking, and never stopped influencing him. Because, it's, because it caused a beautiful ripple effect not only in Tommy's life, but in mine and my children. There is a better life out there, and this absolutely proves it. It's because Carrie Ann and Matt made a difference in your life that the church has had the opportunity to make a difference in your faith. And it's because Ryan made a difference in our relationship through prayer and counsel that it's become, that it's because Christ made the ultimate sacrifice to make a difference in your heart. I know this family will be stronger. It will be healthier, and it will be everlasting. Hold on. <laughs> Getting the lump. I'm asking you, Tommy. If you continue this ripple effect by making a difference for the rest of our lives with each other, our children, and our community. <laughs> you told us how Ryan had told the church that you can get a new marriage just to remarry your wife. So you've asked me a thousand times since we were apart if I'd remarry you. But if you ask me right now, I'll say yes. Hey, Brindley, will you come here? I have something in my pocket, Brindley. Do you know what it is? <laughs> I think you can give that to your daddy. And then, Tommy, I would ask if I were you today. 
Take that microphone, friend. Elizabeth, will you remarry me and rebuild my family with me forever, never? Absolutely. <laughs> wow. Let me pray for you guys. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the grace and the forgiveness and the redemption that's available through Christ. Thank you for the power and the love that is displayed here. God, thank you that we see that nothing is impossible with God. And Lord, thank you for the difference that you've made in Tommy and Elizabeth's life. And Lord, what a joyful celebration it is on Memorial Day weekend that we get to celebrate God restoring and God redeeming, making the ultimate difference in this family's life, forever changed by the power of Christ. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Wow, only at North Valley, right? Man, that is exciting. Ian and the worship team are going to lead us in a time of worship. There's appropriate response to seeing what you just saw. And uh, let's, let's worship the Lord together. We're going to enter into a time of offering and communion. Let's worship. So I'd like to invite the ushers forward. As you guys heard, a little thing, a little thing like going over to your neighbor's house and inviting them to church made a big difference. In the same way, when we, when we give our money, a little thing like that does a big difference in our hearts. And uh, we think about Christ as we approach communion and remember this little thing that we do, taking the bread, but we remember that Jesus had his body broken for us. And we drink the juice in remembrance of his blood poured out for us. It's a little thing that can make a big difference when we realize that we're not going through this life alone. So we want to give you some time to spend with the Lord. Sweet. 
comes free and my shame is
holy moment in your presence, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's what our hearts say. Thank you that you give us the Holy Spirit, which purifies us and unites us and redeems us and draws us closer to you, God, that we be more like Jesus. So I pray, God, that you'd use your Holy Spirit to help us make a difference. Use our whole lives, God, for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's celebrate God's goodness. Amen. God is good all the time. He is good. Hey, we're in Matthew this morning is where we're going to be looking in God's Word together. It's in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus Christ, the Sermon on the Mount. And you can go ahead and stand, and we will stand for the reading of God's Word here at North Valley. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, orient our minds towards your holy word. Begin to change more and more of the people that we are into the conformity of Christ. God, and as a result, that gives us peace. That gives us joy. That gives us hope. It gives us power and strength. God, we pray for that as we look at making a difference in the lives of others. We can make that difference because you're the greatest difference maker ever. And you call us to live out our God-given identity as Christians to change the world. There is no plan B. Lord, help us elevate our minds and our thinking towards your word. Let us hear you speak, Christ, the very words to us. And pray, God, that you would inspire and motivate us to live differently in our world to make a great impact in Christ's name. Here's what God's Word says, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, and Jesus is speaking, and Jesus says, you are salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? You may be seated. This morning, I want to talk to you about how every Christian can make a really big difference in life. This morning, we heard the testimony of Tommy's life, and you saw just publicly right here how a whole marriage and family was restored. But it started with a person named Matt, started with a gal named Carrie Ann. That couple lived in Scottsdale. They found out about the church, and they felt like they, they came and visited, and they saw what God was doing here at North Valley, and they said, you know what, we've got to sell our house in Scottsdale and move up here to be closer. And praise God, they moved into the neighborhood right where Tommy was at. So you ask me, you know, can Christians make a big difference? They really can. They really can. 
Jesus Christ calls you salt of the earth. He calls you light of the world. In a word that can be summarized as this is influence. In God's perspective, there is no plan B to change the world. You are plan A. Jesus called his disciples to understand that they are the very light of Christ shining in and through them. It's Christ's light. Jesus is called as the source of all lights, the father of lights. And then he says, you reflect that. And so really, in a visual picture, you are a mirror of God's goodness and his glory, and you shine that into the community around you. Research says that over the course of 30 years of work, you've got about 75,000 hours. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to make a difference in the lives of others with those 75,000 hours that you're going to use? Jesus calls us to be difference makers. Did you know that God wants to use you to make a big difference here at North Valley? Not only in this church, but around this community. That's why I'm here. The hillbilly guy from Arkansas came to Arizona to meet you, to share with you the very words of Christ, and to call upon you to make a big difference with your life. That's why I'm here. God wants us to make a big difference at North Valley. I want to give you five ways in which I think that you can make a big difference by looking at the text. We're going to learn five characteristics five kind of identity statements and truths from Jesus' message here. Number one, you need to realize that God sees you as an essential part of his plan to make a big difference in the world around you. God sees you as essential. Man, that ought to change the way you think about yourself. There is no plan B. God doesn't have another plan. His plan A is you. Jesus said, when he says, you are the salt of the earth, that's an identity statement. The word you is a pronoun. It's emphatic. It means plural. It doesn't mean just one person. He's talking to his disciples, and he says, you are this salt of the earth. And you're asking me about salt. Salt in those days, the Romans considered it as just as valuable as money. Oftentimes, Roman soldiers were paid in salt. The very phrase that we get, the word that we get, salary, comes from a derivative of salt. Back then, the worth of somebody could be asked a simple question, is he worth his salt? That's where we get that phrase. Salt was essential. Primary purpose of salt would have been a preservative for meats. It would have preserved very, the very household goods and necessities of food. Salt also would serve as a, a process to slow down the decaying process. Romans were paid in salt. They're, they incredibly valued this. And Jesus says, hey, you're salt of the earth. Salt was essential for life. Salt is essential even now for life. Jesus says, you're salt of the earth. You need to understand in God's paradigm, in the way he thinks about you, he sees you as a critical component to make a huge difference in the world. Every single Christian was designed to make a big difference. And you say, how can I make a big difference? By doing little things. 
Matt and Carrie Ann simply just walked across the street and just said, hey, Tommy, you want to come to our neighborhood group? We're grilling chicken. That's a little thing. Let me ask you a question. Did you see something big and incredible happen this morning? It started small. Jesus said, you're salt of the earth. Jesus told his disciples that he didn't want to take them out of the world. Rather, he says, Jesus said in, Math, in John chapter 17, I've sent you into the world. So you're to be like scattered out like a salt shaker all around the world. And as you're scattered out, you bring flavor and you bring life and you bring a newness, a fresh approach to thinking about the way God thinks. Salt also creates a thirst you guys are, ought to be, as Christians, we ought to be people that generate this, this thirst and hunger in other people. Number two, you need to remember that God often uses the little things to make a big difference in the lives of people. Each grain of salt has a limited amount of influence. If you put one grain of salt on your dinner or your steak, it's really not going to do a whole lot for you. As you spread that stuff out, man, it makes the biggest difference in the world. Every year, my uh, dad and my brothers, we make an annual hunt out of uh, northern Arkansas. We go down there to this little old historic little schoolhouse. It's built up in the Ozarks, and it is uh, a kind of a really historic place. It's over 100 years old, and we go in and we pack steak corn and potatoes, and we eat like kings in the middle of the woods. But if somebody forgets the salt, man, it makes for a lame Saturday night. Salt is not only a preservative, but it also promotes flavor, and it, it can actually generate a thirst. Remember, God often uses the little things of the world to make a big difference. God chose to use a Jew. A Jew in the Roman context was a nobody. God didn't have to choose Jewish people, but he chose a Jewish person. He chose the little. He chose the despised to confound the wise, to turn upside down their thinking. Many people say, was said in Jesus' day, nothing good can come out of Nazareth. God chose a little thing to make a huge difference. Jesus' life is the model for our life. And we need to see that Jesus did actually did the little things that made a huge difference. When people were hungry, he'd give them something to eat. When people were thirsty, he'd get them something to drink, and then he would teach all along the way. Little things make a big difference. If you decide to be a part of North Valley in this next year, I want to tell you something. We need you to do little things. That's the role of a servant, and we serve a king. Servants do little things, but what we know is that little things can make a huge difference. Notice what Jesus says in verse 13. He says, you are. Let's say that together. You are. He doesn't say, I need you to be. I need you to act like. I need you to do this. He says, you are that. You are salt of the earth. 
In other words, this is your identity. As a Christian, you will bring out the best in other people. You will be a preservative to help preserve truth from each generation as you teach and instruct your children. Gospel truths, you bring them to church. There's a historical generational passing down of truth from each generation. And Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. Little things make a big difference. I remember I had uh, a small group leader when I was down at Dallas Theological Seminary. And I watched the way he lived. I watched the way he talked to his wife. I watched the way he prepared each week for our discussion. He led by example. He was a, a very kind and courteous person towards his kids. He was very receptive and a very intriguing small group leader, and I appreciated everything about this guy. I watched his life. I wanted to emulate many pieces of that life and say, man, I, just the little things he does is making a big difference in my life. Many of you know who that small group leader is, but that small group leader was Jonathan Seaborn, our executive pastor. I watched his life, and I watched how he did the little things, and I thought, this guy does the little things that nobody cares about oftentimes, but he does them so consistently and faithfully and loyal. This is the wonderful, God-given, gifted person who realizes that his identity is a servant. His identity is to be salt and light in the earth and the world around us. Jonathan has made an excellent Uh, model for us, I think, in just doing the little things. All the little things behind the scenes. We set up church every single week so you can be here. And Jonathan oversees that, and it was his faithfulness in the little things that has given him an opportunity to make a big difference in this team. Number three, you need to protect your personal holiness if you want to make a big difference. You need to protect your personal holiness actually to remain useful and effective in God's service. You can so easily become contaminated or defiled and forfeit your opportunity for effective usage of ministry in God's service. Three things that encourage you to protect you need to protect your eyes, protect what you watch. Protect what you see on TV. Protect what you see on your phone. Protect what you see, what you let your kids watch. Protect yourself. Jesus said, always be on guard, for the devil comes around prowling like a lion. Peter echoed that. Protect your eyes. Protect your ears, what you hear. When people talk about you or talk about somebody else and you just go along with it, I'm telling you something, you're giving a foothold for the devil to diminish your power, your influence in all of God's service and ministry. More churches have been destroyed from gossip and slander than probably any other sin. Protect yourself, your personal holiness, and protect your mouth, what you say. You can so easily burn bridges instead of build bridges with your words in your marriage, in your ministry, in all of it. Protect. Look what Jesus says in verse 13, the second part. He says, if salt has lost its taste, 
How shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Jesus asked a question, how can salt lose its taste? You know, the truth is, is salt can't lose its taste. Jesus wasn't wrong, but Jesus was just trying to get people to think. Salt actually is a, is a pretty unique substance. You know how long salt can last? I, did re- I found some research about this. Uh, what the shelf life of salt is? 350,000 years is half of its shelf life. Here's what Jesus was intending, that you make a big difference with your entire life. Salt can't lose its taste because salt uh, continues on the entire, I mean, course of 350,000 years as long as it's shelf life. So what is Jesus referring to here? He says, how shall saltiness be restored? Well, here's what was going on. The Dead Sea was a place where uh, it's, the, it's one of the highest concentrated areas, a sea in which Jesus would have done ministry, very likely had salt from marketplaces, uh, used the Dead Sea as a resource, a place to harvest salt. But oftentimes what would happen in the accumulation and the gathering of salt would be it would be mixed in with all sorts of other contaminants, and it would dilute the taste of salt. So you'd have all these other, these other substances mixed into the salt, and it would dilute and contaminate and defile the salt. So I say to you, I think the question is, is will you protect yourself? Will you protect your influence? Will you protect your personal holiness? Jesus says, if this happens, it's no longer good for anything. Meaning to to taste, to eat. You don't want to sprinkle that stuff on your food. He says, it's no longer good for anything except, here's what you can do. You can throw it out and be trampled under people's feet. Oftentimes what they would do when they found out that the salt wasn't worth eating, they'd take the salt and they'd scatter it along the roadways make a path. Because believe me, it'll last 350,000 years, and that'll be half of its shelf life, and then it'll go another 350,000 years. Point being is that Jesus says, you're salt, but you, you need to be careful not to let other contaminants influence and diminish your usefulness and purpose. So many people lose out on their influence opportunities for God's services and purpose because they don't take heed to practice personal holiness. What does that look like? It looks like reading God's Word. Tommy said it. Matt told me I should read God's Word every day. Scott came into my life and told me, I hear you talking, Tommy, about all your problems, but I don't hear you praying or talking that you're going to the Lord pray is an act of personal personal holiness. Going to God's Word and being in prayer, those things are essential. You've got to protect your holiness from being defiled and diminishing you from your influence of usefulness in God's service. Don't short-circuit God's plan for your life. There is no plan B. You are plan A. 
that you would be an incredible, life-preserving, life-promoting individual making a difference in the lives of people right around you. Number four, don't be afraid to share and show the love of Christ to those around you. Verse 14 says, you are light of the world, Jesus says. When he says you are light of the world, that is, again, a plural pronoun. He means more than one person. He's talking to Christians, believers, disciples, and he says you're light of the world. My understanding would be is that Jesus would have been taking into consideration Jerusalem, this holy city, beautiful and majestic at dusk. I mean, it would be the sight to see, to see all the lights and the darkness and to see the contrast. And he would have given this message as the sun was setting and you could see a visual representation because often in the life of Christ, his ministry style and approach of teaching would to go along in real life example, and see somebody in need, you're hungry, he would represent the physical and connect it to the spiritual. You're hungry. Well, Christ, I can give you something that can always satisfy. You're thirsty. Well, from living waters of God, you'll never go thirsty again. Jesus would have been instructing them that they're light of the world and they don't need to be afraid. Jesus was the ultimate source of light. He is that for you. You say, I don't feel like I have a a light bright enough worth shining. You're right. On your own power, you don't. You're like this little tiny uh, gizmo gadget you put on your keychain that has very little light. You see people trying to open up their car in the middle of the night with this little light. But Christ is like that massive mag light, so bright. He's the source of light. The speed of light is 186,000 miles per second, and it travels around the world seven times in one second, the speed of light. Jesus says, you're light of the world. In other words, he envisioned it that you would make such an impact with just doing the little things would make a huge difference, an impact, and like Elizabeth had said earlier, this ripple effect that echoes into eternity. That's you. You never think too little of the influence that Christ gives you. You stay at home, moms. You say, do I have impact? Yes, you do. You raise those children. You empower them. You're preserving truth from generation to generation. That is a holy, godly role to do that. And actually, you know, it's interesting. You look back on church history. What were we doing when those councils and those creeds, the darkness was surveilling, coming over the church, and the Christians would gather and they would preserve and document truth from one generation to the next, and each council and each creed was preserving the holiness of God's truth and his word and who Christ is. You are salt. You preserve truth. You promote truth. 
You're an influence, and you should not be afraid of that. In the business world, you moms that are in the marketplace, like I preached about, you have a delicate balance of caring and loving on your kids and moving out into the marketplace and using your gifts. And those of you men that are in the marketplace, you have an incredible light opportunity. Salt works internally. Light works externally. You have influence on the way you speak, on the way you act, and everything you do. Jesus says you are that light. And light shines best in the darkness. Let us be a church that's not afraid to enter into that darkness and to shine. Let us be a church that's not afraid to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with other people and to shine the light of Christ and give hope through the word of God as it opens up and helps us understand how to walk and navigate through challenging times. We're a church that won't give up. We won't shut up. When we get knocked down, we'll just get back up and we're going to keep shining the love of Christ from generation to generation to generation to generation. We'll be salt and we'll be light. Amen? Jesus says, don't be afraid. Look at verse 15. He gives an illustration. He says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. The house in those days often would have been one room. Just one room. And in the house, on the, somewhere in the room, there'd be a lampstand. And the regular smart person would just put the light right on the lampstand, and it would give light to the whole house. And everybody could walk around and do what they needed to do. He says, don't put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. I think we put our light under metaphorical baskets in a sense. We hide it under a number of different things, fear, anxiety. We hide our influence behind other people. We get afraid and we don't want to share or show or shine the love of Jesus Christ because we're afraid of something. And Jesus constantly said, fear is going to be your greatest enemy. I'm calling you to a life of faith. So why don't we act more boldly? Why don't we become more courageous and to realize the, the mandate that Jesus gives? I think it's because we underestimate the power and the influence that Christ actually gives to us. He didn't say, I want you to act like salt. He didn't say, I want you to do a bunch of things to, 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 to become salt. He just said, you are salt of the earth. You are light of the world. I keep having this echo in my mind that from God's perspective, there is no plan B. Years would go by in uh, my, my job as a mountaineering guide, and there would often be search and rescues. People would sit at the table before we'd go out into the mountains. We'd lay out maps. We'd kind of strategize how we're going to move in. If a helicopter was needed or if it would just be, a, you know, on the ground kind of uh, uh, search and rescue. And I remember sitting around the table a couple of different times in the guide houses and there would be a couple of people that were afraid because it was late at night or storms were coming in. And there were always those brave guys that I was with that would say, there is no plan B. 
We've got to save this person. If not, they could die. I heard a story recently of a father in Kansas who had this massive field and his young little four-year-old boy walked out into the field and it was late in the evening and he got lost in this massive cornfield. And the father panics and he calls some neighbors and they go on this search for this little boy. And the little boy can't be found and it's getting really late and it's getting really cold. So the neighbors weren't thinking smart. They just decided just to scatter on out. But then finally, the father comes back and gets everybody to the house and said, let's link arms and let's go side by side and let's comb this entire field until we find my boy. They did. By the time they found the boy, the boy had passed away. And the father walks out of the field holding his son and somebody muttered, if only we'd joined hands sooner. If only we had worked together a little earlier. My my thinking on this, how we're positioned here at North Valley, is if that we don't work together, we're going to miss a lot of little boys. If we don't link arms together in this thing called Christian influence in our world, there's going to be a lot of families that are going to deteriorate and be destroyed because we didn't think about it enough and link arms and say, together, we can make a difference. Together, we can work together. Together, we'll take each section by section and nobody is going to get left out. What if we did that? What if we actually did that? lived like that. Own your street. Every time a neighborhood group is planted in a neighborhood, the very presence and the power of Christ rests on that neighborhood. Why? Because Jesus said, you, Christian, are the light in that community. That's you. And the darkness is everywhere. And you are that light. I I can't be in your neighborhood. I, I don't go to work with you. You can't just pack up little Pastor Ryan in your lunchbox. But you can pack your Bible. You got a phone. You got 400 translations in your phone. Jesus Christ is the source of light. Don't be afraid. Let me tell you why. I was recently asked by a friend of mine who's a business consultant and a sales guy, and he told me, he said, Ryan, you're always sharing Jesus with me. I said, I am. I said, but I promise you this, I'll be your friend whether you accept him or reject him. He said, good, I figured you would. And he says, why are you trying to sell Jesus to me? I said, I'm not selling him to you. I'm just sharing him with you. And I said, but you're in sales, let me ask you a question. If you had an investment that you thought could really change the direction of a family, get them out of debt, help them buy a home, provide for their family, not only their family, but maybe even kids and other generations to come, would you advise them strongly with that investment opportunity? And he said, absolutely, I would. I said, so it is every day with you. I think about the eternal investment that Christ offers. You trust him. He changes everything. 
You and me are the ones who are supposed to shine that light. That's our job. If I wasn't a pastor, I promise you this, I'd be a great guy sitting in a church, serving in the church, doing the little things, and somebody would call me aside and say, would you do this? Would you lead a neighborhood group? Would you host a neighborhood group? I would do that. And I know you're thinking, well, great for you. Whoo, Ryan, toot your horn. I'm not trying to toot my horn, but I'm trying to say this is, we don't have to be super special people to do great things. If all we can do for the next six or seven weeks is to show you that ordinary people do extraordinary things, we're, we're going to knock a home run out of this series. If you, you'll go with me and with this team, we've got four different presenters over the next seven weeks. It's going to be a really good series. I, I bet we're going to have... Lord willing, by God's power and grace, a a surge of volunteerism, of service, of people to say, I'll make a difference. I'll lock arms together. We'll go do this together. Guys, I don't want to go into next year without you. I don't want to do a grand opening if we don't get almost double the volunteers because it's just not worth the time and energy. Because if the people aren't in it, just like we did the campaign, I don't want to go. I don't want to lead a church where the people aren't all in. That's not me. That's not my kind of deal. I, like, I, I don't want to just draw a crowd. I want to build a congregation. And congregations are committed to the church, to the vision of Christ. And I'm telling you, this next year, it requires nothing short of sacrifice and service. And so now is the time. We're calling you to it. Would you make a difference with us? Christ said, there's no plan B. You're the light of the world. I can hear Peter. I can hear Thomas. Jesus, light of the world. That's a lot. Thomas, the doubter. Jesus, you're the light. And Jesus says, Thomas, be quiet. You're the light. Thomas says, no, you're the light, Jesus. Back and forth, back and forth. Peter might stand up just like we see in the book of Acts. He stands out among them. Hey, guys, listen. When Jesus said you, he meant not just one person. He meant all of us. We're the light of the world. That was God's plan. God sees you as essential. There is no plan B. If you don't do your part, the whole church struggles. Our influence is limited, and I don't want to miss anybody. Here's what we're going to see, the last point. The last point is this, is that we need to focus on serving with others to make a greater difference. You need to focus, Mr. Miyagi here. Focus, Daniel-san. Focus. Did you see the new Mr. Karate Kid or whatever, Will Smith's kid? I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was pretty good. They didn't have focus, Daniel, son, but. Focus on serving with others to make a greater difference. How do you focus? Three ways I think that you focus. Focus by elimination. You need to eliminate the things that aren't making a difference. Cut those things out. If you're, if you're here at North Valley and you're like, I think this is my home church, let me encourage you, then don't serve somewhere else. 
And you're like, oh man, Ryan, come on. No, I'm serious. If this is your church, Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. You need to give here. You need to serve here. You need to be here. So eliminate. If you want to focus on anything, you better figure out what you're going to eliminate. When I went to seminary for three years, I got two master's degrees in three years. First thing I eliminated was my cell phone. I was on staff at a mega church in Little Rock, Arkansas. There's 100 plus people on the staff. And guess who got the highest cell phone bill every month? Me. I got the highest cell phone bill. I go into Dallas Seminary and I tell Leslie, I'm not doing a cell phone for three years. People thought I was crazy. If you want to focus on anything, you better learn what to eliminate. You want to make a difference for Christ? Eliminate something. Jesus said, oh, you want to follow me? You better carry your cross. You better say goodbye to some of these other things over here, and you're going to have to follow me. It's 100%. Do you see what I'm saying? Focus. Daniel said. Number two, you better give time. It takes time. You want to focus in making and serving and making a big difference? It's going to take time. You know what? The, one of the most common characteristics of the most influential churches in the whole world is this. Long-term commitment from the, the executive, the lead pastor, down. Do you want to make a big difference in this valley? Then you're going to have to give a lot of time. Do you want to make a difference in your family and in, your, in the ministry that God's got you here at the church? You better give it time. Jesus didn't say, hey, come visit me for a seminar, disciples. Squeeze me in. I got seminars in the morning, seminars in the afternoon. He just said, hey, leave your business. Come follow me. That's a hard call. You're going to have to give time. And then third, I'm going to say you need a healthy environment. You need a healthy environment to really make a difference with other people. What does that environment look like? It looks like neighborhood group. If you don't have a neighborhood group, here's what I'm going to say. You're not going to last at this church. I've just done this long enough to go... Yeah, they won't be around. Give them two years, maybe. They'll be gone. The problem with that is that you just keep bouncing. But when you have an environment that you call family, that prays for you, let me ask you a question. Did something incredible happen in the life of Tommy? Where did that happen? It actually didn't happen here. Actually, the first time Tommy heard me, he said, your hillbilly humor, man, I lost me. It's gone. And then I was like, man, dang, I'm a hillbilly. You can't change who you are. You can take the, pers- the man out of the south, but you can't take the south out of the man. Hallelujah. <laughs> so here's the deal. The deal is, is that you need a good godly environment to grow. You need other people to be with you. And Jesus called his disciples. He didn't say, hey, I just need one of you. He said, I'm calling a team. Teamwork makes the dream work. That's what we say at North Valley. God-given dreams require God-given teams. You need a team of people. You need somebody to challenge you in prayer. You need somebody to encourage you and model for you how to pray. 
somebody to show you how to get into God's word. You need a team. You need somebody praying for your marriage. You need somebody praying for your, your faithfulness in singlehood. You need a team. And Jesus said, hey, in the same way, let your light shine before others. And that word you, your, is plural. We serve with others. We reach out with others. And he says this, so that they may see your good works. When we work together, we make a big impact. And the end result would be giving glory to the Father who's in heaven. Amen? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray, God, that we would stand strong in this generation, in this time. Would let our light shine. Father, I pray that give us a confidence and a boldness to begin to share and show the love of Christ. God, in any small way that we can do it, to represent your church and your kingdom and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that the little things in our lives, we would begin to practice those things, make a big difference. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.